Good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Galatians. We've been going through this study. We're getting close to the end of it. And I want to talk to you today about a test that Paul's going to lay out for you to be able to take. Uh, and I was on that theme this week relating to the fact that it's coming to the end of a school year. And in my house, I've got kids that are trying to finish up papers and take tests. And my, one of my sons is at the University of Guam, and, and his girlfriend was at the house, and I could see them preparing for tests. And, and then, um, you know, there was one day where they came in and they were done. And I said, I remember that feeling. When you, when you take the last final and then you're off for the summer, it's such a great feeling. You know, you go walking out of that classroom like, ha, ah, freedom. You know? And um, there's been graduations. We went to Harvest graduation. Uh, and um, we're going to lay this message out kind of with that theme, you know, that we're working towards a graduation at the end of this message. Uh, but there's a test we're preparing for that we're going to take. Let me read to you. Um, I need my glasses to read. <clears throat> I already failed. Here we go. We're going to read through this chapter, Galatians chapter 5. Our uh, text is verses 1 to 15. Follow along with me if you will. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Heavenly Father, I just pray as we study this passage, you'll help us see the truth that God's, that God's Word wants us to see and apply it to our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I titled this message, The Acid Test, but I said there's a test that's here, and an acid test is one that separates good from bad. If you, if you go back in history, what you would find is that an acid test would be applied to metals and it would, it would separate gold from the metals that were not gold. And so you could see where the gold was and what was not the gold. It would remove that. And figuratively speaking, that's how we're applying it today. That the acid test is to remove that which is not golden. The golden standard that God's going to want us to live by to walk in Christ by the Spirit, and there's other things we're building in that the acid test is going to reveal this isn't the golden standard. So in verse 1, <coughs> excuse me, the first thing I put here is that freedom is fragile. And he's been pointing at this through the, through the book, that we have a freedom in Christ, and we're going to see here in this little passage that freedom is fragile. It can be lost. And he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And gospel freedom from condemnation leads us to obey God, not please ourselves. And there's a way in which what he's taking them to is, is to see that what Christ did on the cross, it gives us this freedom, but then we live in a way which we're trying to please ourselves, and it leads us back into the uh, analogy is a slavery. 
that we're being bound to things to find our worth or to appease uh, not following God's rules. Now, this word freed, because it, it I, now I highlighted it in this, this verse 1 because it, it summarizes the book, For freedom, Christ has set you free. And you might say, Pastor, that's a little circuitous. It's like going in a circle. You've got the verb free and the noun both together there. But this verb, he's freed you, is in a tense that means it happened long ago and it's done and completed. In the Greek language, there's a number of different past tenses you could use, but he chooses one called the aorist tense. And this tense, I, I describe it this way. If you have a timeline like this and you go back in time and he's saying right here is where it was done, it's like it's a puncture, like a hole right there where you can see in that moment in time it happened and it's done and it doesn't, nothing else going forward in time needs to happen for this to be completed. In linguistics, you would say it's punctiliar. It punctures the timeline right there. And he's saying he freed you. Back in time when Christ died on that cross for us, there's a freedom that was achieved. And going forward, nothing more needs to be done for freedom to be attained. And this is what was happening. As I've said all throughout this message, that influencers came into that Galatian church and said, You've got to come back and obey these Old Testament rules. You, got, you need circumcision. You're not circumcised? Well, you're not 100% complete. And they're trying to draw them back. And Paul's use of, the, of that tense is to say, no, no, punctiliar. It happened and it's done. For freedom, you have been set free. But the point is, is freedom is fragile. You can lose that freedom. Because he goes on to say, stand firm, therefore. And Paul, by using this word, he borrows it from the military. It means keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. There's a way in which what he's saying to that Galatian church is you've got to stick together, recognize the threat to that freedom, and through the collective sticking together as a church, you got to stand firm against that. It's an attack on the freedom. He says, stand for, firm, and he goes on to say, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember that word yoke is being attached to something. And he's saying, they're calling you to come back and say you need circumcision. And he's yoking you, connecting you back to that Old Testament. You've got to follow the Old Testament way. And he says, that's slavery. You're being bought, brought back into following this as a means unto salvation. And so he emphasizes this. Freedom has been attained, but it can be fragile because you can be pulled back into a way of living, a way of walking through this life where you don't have freedom. He's going to unpack that as we go on, but that's the first thing that he lays out. Freedom is fragile. And he's going to give us a test, because I could ask you the question, how do you live out your gospel freedom? Are you free? Or do you find yourself often tethered back to something to try to make yourself feel worthy in God's eyes, to try to balance out, oh, I, I broke these rules, and now if I can only pray this much, it'll kind of balance that out, and God will look at me and be appeased and say, well, you're doing okay now because you're praying a lot. But before, when you broke the rules, you didn't feel like that. Now, what, what kind of stability do you have in your faith walk? That's the question that I would lay out. Now, here's the next point, which is circumcision gets a failing grade. So if this is a test and you're preparing for it, you better know this right, right now. Circumcision is a failing grade. Now, Circumcision is representative of anything that you try to add to your um, Christian walk in a, in, a, in, in a way to make yourself look better in God's eyes. Because he says in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And what he's saying there is, and some of your transma translations may say no value. 
So these Galatian Christians, most of them not Jewish, they're, they're, they're Gentile, they're being pulled over here. You've got to accept circumcision. They didn't come up in Jewish homes, and so they're saying, you've got to accept this. He's saying, if you accept circumcision, if you listen to the influence and you accept it, it will be of no value. To accept the circumcision will be of no value to you, he says. No advantage at all. And then he goes on to be even more emphatic. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So then he makes the point, not only is it of no advantage to you, but now you're going down a path. Well, if you say, I need this one part of the law, you need all of it. So, example, I need circumcision, I'm going to accept it. Well, what about all the dietary laws? Are you going to throw those out the window? Why did you take circumcision and not the dietary laws? Why are you keeping only one part of it? He's saying, look, if you accept circumcision, which they're trying to get you to do, you've got to accept all of the law. And so he's making his case, it's not an advantage for you. There's no value in this. Why? Because as he has already said, Christ has set you free. But then he says this, you are severed from Christ. Who? Who is severed? You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Now, one of the first verses I memorized was Ephesians For by grace you are saved through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. And there's a way in what he's saying that ties to. If you come over here and begin to add these works in, he's saying you're falling away from grace, meaning you're falling away from the freedom you have in Christ. You are enslaving yourself to following these rules. And he's saying you're severed from the freedom you find in Christ. Christ has set you free. Over here in Christ, there's a freedom. If you go over here and add these things in, you're being severed from that. You won't have freedom. You're attaching yourself to slavery, he says. So he is making this case, right? And there is this math equation that I'm going to insert here. Because we know one plus one equals two. But what he actually just said there was one plus one equals zero because we have Christ, one. We are, our salvation is one in him. That's one. But they were saying, you've got to come over here and add circumcision. So one plus one now, they're saying, that now that's going to equal salvation. He's saying, no, 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 no. One plus, you add anything else to Christ. You don't get two, you get zero is what he's saying. One plus one, then, is zero. You can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. You will not have freedom. You will have something else. The gospel frees us from both the guilt and the slavery of sin. And another way of saying that would be the gospel frees us from the condemnation of sin and the motivation to sin. Now, that's an interesting way to think about it. Paul writes, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, we got that, and that's what he's saying, that there's no condemnation. We are free, but you are also free from the slavery of sin. Or, another way of saying, you're also free from the motivation to sin. And you may not realize that. And that's what, this is what the acid test is. Why do you keep doing it? What is your motivation to sin? That's part of the acid test. You're free from that motivation. Why do you keep going back to that is the question he's going to thrust at you. And so far what he said is when you're motivated and you go back, you're not adding anything. You are losing freedom is what he's saying. You're losing freedom. Now, what we see so far is that freedom can be fragile. You can find yourself living in a way that there's not real freedom, but to add something in to make you feel better or like now we're achieving that freedom gives you nothing. It's a failing grade. To add circumcision, Paul says, it's a failing grade. All right, pastor, well then what's the passing grade? 
right? How do we pass this acid test? Okay, separating what's the gold standard? That's the next point. We're going to pick up verse 5. The passing grade is with the waiting game. It's with the waiting game. Let me read to you what Paul says here in verse 5. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And in this section, he lays out something about waiting. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait. So I picked up on that, and I want you to see what is, how do you pass the acid test, the golden standard? It has to do with waiting. So the first thing is, you, I want you to understand, it's like if I'm going to sit down right here, and I'm just waiting. Do you see, I'm not, I'm not actively doing, I'm, I'm waiting on something. And that's part of the message that he's trying to make here, is in the waiting. Waiting equals no working or striving for something. It's been done. Now we need to wait for something that's coming. And just like in the first part of this message, we've emphasized the fragility of freedom. I want to emphasize now, how do you get stability? How do you get stability in that faith walk with Christ? Here's the first point. And I've already laid it out. It has to do with waiting. But there's a foundation here. And stability begins with faith led by the Spirit. Because he says, for through the Spirit by faith. Faith is, and we've talked about this often, right? Salvation is by faith. Paul says, if you believe in your heart and you say it with your mouth, you will be saved. There is this belief aspect that I look back and there's a message, the gospel message that Jesus Christ was real. He's the Son of God. He came down. There's in the timeline and the history of man. He walked on this earth. That he lived a perfect life. He followed all the law. Didn't break any law. And that gave him the right to go to the cross and be a substitutionary sacrifice for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. We know this gospel message. You, you, you know that in here, right? And salvation is putting our faith in that message. But he says it. It's faith, but through the Spirit. And I'm not going to belabor, belabor this point because we've talked about it through this series, but I take you back to Paul again, weaving in the work of the Spirit in our salvation process. Through this series, we've talked some about it, the work of the Spirit, regeneration, which is the Holy Spirit drawing you, coming in and doing a work on the inside, drawing you to the Father. Sealing, the work of the Spirit. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, where when you put your faith in Christ, the Spirit comes and lives within you. He indwells you. Like if I go over to my house and open the door and walk in and say, this is my abode, this is where I live, this is where I dwell. The Holy Spirit now lives within you, dwells within you, every one of you, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've put your faith in and part of that work is by Him indwelling you is sealing us. A promise that's a down payment that something in the future we're going to attain. Something will come. And He is part of protecting that. Work of the Spirit in illumination. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit works within us to understand the teaching of God's Word. We read it. Well, what is God talking about there? And the Holy Spirit helps us understand it. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And then lastly, just to take us back to some of these and to emphasize the work of the Spirit in conviction. The work of the Spirit works within us to do two things. To affirm the good decisions that you make and to convict you of the bad decisions that you make. As you're walking and you're making decisions... And here these guys, maybe we should add circumcision. One of the aspects of the Holy Spirit would be to help them see God's teaching and to make a discernment about adding or removing things in your life that should not be there. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. You get stability. Now, the Bible says this. It says, Paul writes, Do not be drunk 
with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he means by that, he's using an analogy. When you drink too much wine, this is in Ephesians, you become controlled by that. And it affects your decision making. But the contrast, he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit have control on the inside as He's doing these works of illuminating, convicting, and, and maturing you. The greater the Holy Spirit has control on the inside of you, the greater your maturity in Christ, the greater you grow, the greater stability you have. And we live in a day and age where we need that. We need to be able to discern the kinds of values that are being um, talked about in our culture. What is true and what is not true. To look at God's Word, to see the Holy Spirit help, help direct us and grow us in that. Stability begins by being led by the Spirit and faith in that work. Stability, secondly, is hoping in the right thing. He says, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now this word hope in the Greek is elpida, and it, it means something different than you might, in our common language today, understand it to mean, because I could use it this way. I could say, I hope that that storm misses the island. Okay? And what do I mean by that? That means maybe it will, maybe it won't, but I'm, I'm hoping that it misses. There's not a lot of assurance there, is there? It doesn't project assurance. It's kind of a 50-50 or a 60-40 kind of thing. That is not what this word means. This word hope is a powerful assurance, not a maybe. It's powerful. And this is one of the ways that Paul layers into our understanding how we get stability. Hope in what? Because he says hope in of righteousness. And what do we mean by that? Because righteousness here, righteousness, we may, we may think of it as like, like I've made decisions. I, I, I got angry and I used words that I shouldn't have used to my, to my wife or to my, my son or to my daughter. Or I was angry at work and said something. Or I'm envious of other people because they've got things in their life I don't have. I'm jealous of something. There are, there are things within us that make us feel dirty spiritually to be in the presence of God. Righteousness is the cleansing of that. Righteousness is it comes in and it washes away those things as if we hadn't done them. It gives us a purity and we feel like we can stand before God because we're right. We've got a record now that is going to be accepted by God. It's not our record, it's Christ. Okay, So he's saying hope in that righteousness, but it's more than that. What are we really hoping in, Pastor? And the answer is, Yes, that right record, but the moment is not here on this earth. The moment is when we leave this earth. Either Christ comes back and calls us out of this world to, to be with Him, or we pass away and we go on to be with Him. Either way, we are with Him, and in that moment, we're accepted. I am a believer in Christ and what we've been talking about through this series is because of that, I'm a, a, a son. I'm a child of God. I'm in the family of God. And there's a moment where we're going to come together and he's going to say, welcome. Welcome into my house because you are part of the family. And Paul has been emphasizing this. He's been, if I go back to chapter 4, he says in uh, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son, there's that Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have a relationship with the Father now. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I am an heir to the kingdom. And he's saying, that's what we're waiting on. It's the moment of, in theology, we call it glorification. It's the last step, really, 
in our salvation process. It's the end. Nobody in here, if you're saved, has reached that. You are not glorified yet. You know that. You still got sin. You're still imperfect. Glorification is the, the point in time where I'm face to face with the Father. And now there's no sin in me. It's been removed. I have a, 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 a body now that does not lean towards sinful things. A righteousness, a record of righteousness where I'm standing there and he says, welcome into my house because you're part of the family. You're a son. Glorification. That is what we are to be hoping in. And you see, you know why you lose your freedom in Christ? Because you're walking on this earth in such a way that you're hoping in earthly things. You're like thinking, I can't wait till this happens. I hope I get that promotion. I hope one day my bank account's large enough that I can live the way I really want to live. I'm hoping in this relationship, I hope that they reciprocate and it's going to be an awesome marriage. I'm hoping that I get to be a, a father or a mother and we hope in earthly things. And it's, he's saying, you are to be waiting. You, you're living your life in such a way that we're waiting and a, a hope is in something beyond earthly to heavenly. It's like, it's, I, this is the example that I have. I got a slide. I want to show you this. I used this about a year ago. I didn't notice this till the first service. A little bit dark. This is my wife and I, and we went on this cruise about a year ago because it was our uh, to celebrate 25 years of marriage. Okay, and I said I got to do something extra special. You know, we'd never been on a cruise, and and so we I planned it out, and I said, well, I'm going to take you on this. At first, she's like, I don't know. I was like, we got to do this, you know, and we celebrated marriage through this. But let me tell you what happened. Because all of these months leading up to the cruise, this is what it would be like. I'm over here and I'm looking off in the horizon. That's going to happen because this was great. I mean, look at that. The sunshine, there's the, the ocean. You know, we went to Alaska. We got to see these majestic views. And you're on that ship and it's like you can go and you can, the buffet, the food. And they have these dessert tables and it's just, I call it the sin table, you know, all these wonderful desserts. And, and they, I mean, it was just great. And so over here, before we got to that, looking down the timeline of my life and said, that's coming. It helped me deal with things in the now. It's really stressful right now. Yeah, but I'm going to, I got that coming. You know what? I'm so tired. Yeah, but I got some rest coming. You know what? My wife says, you got to lose a little weight. You got to eat a little different. Yeah, well, okay, I'll do it. But over there, the buffet, the, oh, there's no, you know, there's no rules. Okay. The only rule she had was we couldn't use the elevator. We had to walk everywhere. We were getting like more than 20,000 steps a day because then she said we can go to the, to the dessert table as many times as we want. You know, so we still had some rules. But do you see how I'm hoping, like I'm looking at something off in the distance and it affects how I was walking and living in the now. And this is what Paul means in this moment. What is the acid test? Part of the test is how are you walking right now? If you're hoping in that, then no matter what happens here, cannot take that away. And you should never be in a state of, of hopelessness. Oh my goodness, politics aren't going the way I think they should go. It's a mess. My hope is gone. No, we're waiting on the true thing that we're hoping in. Oh my goodness, my career isn't unfolding the way I want. There can be hard times. This is why I always take you back to the apostles. And they went through hard things with joy because they weren't hoping in earthly things. They were hoping in something beyond earthly. And he says, you know why you're, you've lost your freedom? Because you're hoping in these earthly things. And they're going to disappoint and now you find yourself enslaved, like Abraham trying to make it happen on his own. Bring in the slave woman. I'm going to make this happen on my own. Works of righteousness, things that we do. So this ability to wait, I'm not striving for that because 
remember that punctiliar verb, it happened in the past. I hope in that. I put my faith in that. And now I'm waiting. I can live in this life. But I know that's down the line and it's coming. Now, I'm going to read you this quote from one of my favorite pastors. And I'm making this point, sadly, because he died just a couple days ago. Tim Keller, if you know who Tim Keller is, I quote him quite often. He said this, No one else, no secular person, no follower of any other religion can look at their future like this. Non-religious people have no idea where they will be a million years from now. And religious people, without the gospel, are anxious about where they will be and cannot relax or look forward to it with eagerness. The certainty of our future with God is a fruit of the gospel. You know, that's important because we live in a culture, even here in Guam, where we hear a lot, you need to do these religious things to make up for sin. You need to do these religious practices to make sure your future is secure. Maybe to cut out some of your, the bad time that you could get so that you have a better secure future. And that none of that is supported by Paul. He's, he is teaching the opposite of that, that you have an inheritance that is secure. And we are to hope in that. And we find stability, faith led by the Spirit, hoping in the right thing. And thirdly, using the one true measurement, love. Love. John MacArthur says, Nothing done or not done in the flesh, even religious ceremony, makes a difference in one's relationship to God. And he's talking here about what Paul says, because Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor un uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So the whole attempt to try to add circumcision, he says, add circumcision, don't add circumcision, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't. Only faith working through love. MacArthur uh, goes on to say that... Um, what is external is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects genuine internal righteousness. And what he is saying there, what you see on the outside is telling you something about what's on the inside. That's why Paul says circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't matter. What really matters is faith, something that's internal, working through love. See, there's a way in which the guy who says, you know what, I'm going to listen to that influencer, I'm going to come over here and add circumcision just in case. Well, that external act tells you something about the inside. You know what it is? Insecurity. They're not totally secure, are they? And you could, you could play that out in a million different ways. Take depression, anxiety, uh, anger, jealousy, all of these things. Why are they there? Something that we're seeing on the outside is telling you something about the inside of that person. And Paul right here says, you know what matters? The true measurement, not that the external acts, the true measurement is faith working through love. And that really is part of the acid test. You know, Paul writes later in his letter to the Corinthians, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Love. He says, if you don't have love, you're just a noisy symbol. Now, I want you to think about someone who irritates you. Doesn't matter who it is. Someone who irritates you could be at work, could be in the family, could be the guy preaching up here. I don't know. Okay, how do you interact with them? Do you interact with them with the basis being, I love them? Oh, pastor, come on. That's what he's talking about. The basis is you love them. That's why the Bible says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. You see, if they think they don't really care about me, then they're not going to care what you have to say. Because you have some ulterior motive, something that it doesn't matter what happens to them. And see, that's how we 
we walk in this life in a way, how do you interact? You're going to find, I'm about to get to it, that one of the biggest aspects of this acid test he gives you has to do with interpersonal relationships and the way that you react and respond to one another. But what he's given us right now, the passing grade, waiting game, faith led by the Spirit, hoping in the right thing, and using love as our true measurement of what's going on in the inside. And if we find our love going dry, we're not then looking at our hope, are we? Because if our eyes are fixed on past the earthly to what is coming, what we are going to experience being face to face, it fuels love. It fuels loving in here. And then it creates a dynamic in how we interact with people. So hold that thought because I want to I give you one more thing. I'll come back to that because the fourth point is study groups. They can hurt or help you. You know, I, I went to college. I remember, you know, we had this huge test coming up and we used to like get some of the friends together. Let's get a study group together. You know, we could do better together, all of us together, you know, and and we could test, quiz each other and ask questions, and you get together and have this study group, right? And there's always somebody who comes and joins the group. And the first act is, hey, before we start, maybe we should make a run to Taco Bell. And we do that. Okay, all right, I'm hungry, all right, you know. And then it's like, wait, we got to have some coffee. Let's, let's go to Starbucks. Of course, when I was, there was no Starbucks when I was in college. And I'm dating myself, at least, I guess, you know. Maybe there was, but not where I live. And there's a way in which you can get somebody who comes into that group who's just breaking it down. They're, they're uh, putting it off. They're not getting to the grind and really getting after it. And, and it can affect you. This is what Paul says. Look what, he, look what he says right here in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He knows them. You were over here. You had freedom in Christ. Why are you now going back over here? He says, you were running well. What happened? And he knows the answer. You were running well, but you were influenced. And so there's this point, you know, you have this successful yet susceptible runner. Just because you were a great runner doesn't mean you're susceptible to becoming a bad runner. And so... Be aware of the influences of the influencers, the messages that are digested and brought into you. The people that you're around can be people who bring you back to this over here. They're bringing you back to slavery. And he makes that point. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is why it's so important we have the Word of God, because we can know what the calling is by reading it. Not only this, but that influencer, he can impact a whole. As he goes on to say, right, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if you've ever baked bread, you know this. We've had some failed bread baking where there's too much leaven and it just goes whoop up at the top. It's like, this is a ginormous bread, right? It just takes a little bit. You put a little bit and the whole thing will rise. And what he's saying is the this negative influence, the the, it comes into the group, but it can have an impact that rises within the whole group. It can have a big impact. That's why the necessity to be aware is important. But you can see his confidence. And I believe that Paul looked at this Galat the Galatian church, that these were true believers. He says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is, the confidence to win and the penalty to sin. Each of these points have a contrast to them. And I think it's important that we are always reaffirming, especially you know, a father to my sons, a coach to my players, a pastor to, 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 to people in the church, shepherds to sheep, that who you are in Christ, that I have confidence that you are, I've seen things in your life that tell me you're saved and the encouragement to continue on in the race in the way that makes you a successful runner. And then also to look at that, because Paul's doing that right there. I'm confident 
that you are going to only take my view in this. Don't, right, accept circumcision. But then he says, the one causing trouble. There's a way in which sometimes we have to leave it to the Lord to deal with those people. I mean, Paul does it in his own way where he's writing what the truth is. But sometimes we feel like we have to be the one that absolutely obliterates and nukes them out of the planet. And it can leave us to becoming a person who is responding in unloving ways. And so he says, I'm confident. And actually, you can see that they don't get away with it. The Lord knows and the Lord deals. He says, the penalty, the one who is troubling you is going to bear the penalty. This is a bit of a sowing. You reap what you sow. If you're going to sow dissension and and untruth, you're going, to, you're going to grow something in your life that's going to bear that kind of fruit. And lastly, he says here, study groups can hurt or help. He's going to go back to the persecution of Isaac by Ishmael. And this is from last week where he talked about there's two ways to be related to the father. There's the pathway of Sarah and her son Isaac. And then you have the slave woman, the servant girl, Hagar and Ishmael. And he says, only one is an heir, not both. So one was by works, one was trying to get their own way done, but, but the other uh, we see is God working despite a woman being barren, where there's a complete dependence on God to save you. And he's saying here in this moment that just like the two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, the one persecuted the other, and the nations that came from that, one persecutes the other, it, it's not as successful to try to, to have both of those kids under your roof, to try to walk both paths. And he goes back to this, and it's astonishing what he says. Well, let me read it. It says, But if you brothers still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And that's a way of saying, cut it off, you know, the influence to come over here and add in works, one plus one equals zero. He says, cut it off. Just like last week, he says, remove them from the household. He's saying of Hagar and her son, remove them. He's going, always exhorting them. This doesn't bear fruit. Cut it out. Take them out of the house. They have to go on their own way. You are a child of God Live in that freedom. Don't come back over here where you lose your freedom. And that's kind of the last point that he makes. But why cut it out? Because study groups can hurt or help. The people that you put in them can help you along or not. And one of the the great preachers, John Stott, said, I venture to say that if we were as concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, We too would wish that false teachers might cease from the land. To have a desire to to know what truth is and to see false teaching that exists, some of the values that are being lifted up in culture that are contrary to God's values, that we see it come into the church and to have the kind of heart that Paul had that would say, I wish it would be emasculated. I wish it would be cut off. I wish it would be sent out of the house. To have a love for truth. And to see that which is not true eradicated from the community of God. And this leads us to the end, which is graduation. Graduating to freedom. Verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love here at the end what he says is using freedom the wrong way. You can use it the wrong way. You have a freedom and you can be drawn back over here to sin, to choose things that we shouldn't choose. But if you use freedom the right way, because remember we said, why do we have the law? What does the law mean to the Christian? And the answer is, it's a reflection of who God is. If you can follow the law, 
then you're living out the character of God. And so there is a desire, the motivation changes. The law is an expression of God's nature and heart. We use it to please Him and to imitate Him. And you see the motivational change. That's how you use it the right way. You don't go back to the law because you're trying to make yourself, you're adding something to make yourself look better in God's eyes. You go back to it to imitate Him. What does it look like to live like Christ? And you know what he says? He makes it easy. He summarizes it right in one word. He said it right there. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what Christ said, right? Greatest commandment, love your God. Second greatest, love your neighbor, right? If you keep those, you won't break any of the law. If I love my neighbor like myself, I'm not going to covet what they have. I'm not going to cheat against them. I'm not going to lie. I won't break those commandments if I can just keep this, this one. And look how he lands all of this. This is where I'm going to take you to. Here's how the acid test plays out in your personal lives, and it's, it's interpersonal. Because he ends by saying, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He lands the whole thing. Do you, do you know what the acid test is? It's how you can get along with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if my true hope is over here, I don't need to feel like i got to bite and devour them to make it right here on earth. There's a way to interact that is loving. I'm going to treat them how I would want to be treated, and that way I'm going to fulfill the law without trying to go to the law to make salvation happen in my life. How do you interact with the people in God's family? You've got to learn how to do it in here because God wants you to go out there and do it with people who are not part of God's family. You should be able to exemplify I have this hope that's otherworldly. How do I see it in you? Because I'm not drawn into biting and devouring one another here on this planet. My hope's over there, so I'm not drawn into the anxiety and depression of these things aren't going the way I want them to go. And we say a whole lot on the inside by what the external is doing, don't we? That's been his point. The external is only a mirror of what is on the inside of you. If you're biting and devouring, then you're hoping in something that is, that is earthly because you're fighting for something and treating your neighbor in a way that breaks God's law. You know what Paul said, right? He said, if you don't love them, how will you even talk with them? If you don't love them, they're going to look at you like a noisy gong, a, a symbol that's clanging. They'll never even hear what you have to say. I really want to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but all they see is the, the noisy gong because ultimately you care about yourself. You know, I was thinking about, it's like, I got one right here. here here's one. Here's it. Here's a noisy gong symbol. I'm going to come have a conversation over here, right? And here I am. Can you hear what I have to say? Let me tell you about where I'm going to lunch. Okay, God, what do you know that? Man? Can you even hear me? That, you should just think about that in your mind. Every time he's saying, if you don't have love, that's how the world sees you. And you are supposed to go into the world with this hope. That's otherworldly. And the way they see it in you is you are not biting and devouring one another. That's the acid test. That you are living in freedom. If you don't have freedom, then you're going to be biting and devouring one another in these relationships. And it's a way to test how much freedom are you walking in so that we can lead others into that gospel eternal hope. Father, thank you for Paul, thank you for his message, this letter. Thank you for seeing a way in which we can, first of all, look at our own life 
and maybe take a measurement. The measurement is love. Do we love our neighbor? Do we love our enemies? Are we filled with anxiety because of the direction of our culture? Are we filled with anger? We feel like it's out of control and we want to engage in in our engagement. We're often uh, testy and short-tempered and And Paul said there at the very end, watch out. If you engage the world this way, you yourself can be devoured. Suddenly we find ourselves in these heated moments because what we're really fighting for is something that's worldly. To hope in the otherworldly is to wait with patience. It's coming. Paul said in a punctiliar way it was done in the past and there's nothing more. We just need to put our faith in that and then wait to be face to face with Christ for Him to say welcome into this heavenly home because you're part of the family. And that should affect how we walk on this earth. This should give us a peace. We don't need to fight for things on this earth because it all is going to pass away and our true hope is something that is secure. So I pray that we would exemplify that. First, as a community of believers, that the outside world would see that God's church, we do love one another. We do shoulder each other's burdens. We're patient with one another. We don't hold our opinions high. We hold them lightly. And we give and invest our time and energy our resources to each other, and that should be attractive. And we go out in the world and they can see this gospel-centeredness in us. We hope in the right things, and we want to draw the lost world to you. We just thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, and pray that you would grow this in our church more and more. We lift it up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll worship together as a church.